If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts. Let's go to chapter 14. We want to look at verses 1 uh, through 18 this morning. Uh, we know that from Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas have gone uh, to Antioch, and now from Antioch, they're going to this city called Iconium. Uh, this morning, for the next two weeks, uh, the mission work in the midst of idolatry. And so I want to just give you a little bit of background. This is Paul's first missionary journey. We know that. It started uh, in Antioch. Uh, that becomes the mission base now. Uh, the Church of Jerusalem was the, is still the headquarters, but now the mission field is on the way. And we're going to see, uh, as Paul has to encounter with the Greeks, and even thinking that uh, when they were ministering there, that Paul and Barnabas were Greek gods, and this is what's going on. Uh, Iconium today is the modern city called Konia. Iconium was the capital of Leucos, uh Laconia and Asia Minor. It was a large city, a rich city, uh, about 120 miles uh, from the Mediterranean Sea at the foot of the Tarsus Mountains and on the great line of communication uh, between Ephesus, which was a well-known community then, uh, and, and the western coast of the peninsula of the side uh, of Tarsus, Antioch, and the Euphrates on the other side. And so this is a very prominent area. We've given you maps. If you don't have the maps, uh, you can go in the back of your Bibles and you can see. And so Paul is now traveling. He, he comes to Iconium. He's here uh, with, with Barnabas. But when we get to Acts chapter 18, uh, he's going to be returning with Silas. There's going to be this division between Paul and Barnabas. But here in Iconium, God is doing a work. He sees the need for the gospel. They were known for their manufacturing of carpets and leathers. And so it was a, a thriving city. And what a place to be concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we get into our study this morning, Paul enters the synagogue. Very important. In order to have a synagogue in a given city, there had to have been at least 10 Jews. And if there were at least 10 Jews there, and then they would bring in a synagogue. They would build a, a, a makeshift place and then eventually develop it. But there would be a place of a time of worship. Now, not only did you have the Jews going into the synagogue, but there would be Gentiles that would come because they're desiring uh, to follow the Lord. And so what a perfect place uh, to preach the gospel. But you have to enjoy Paul's ministry. He would go right to the heart, and that would be the synagogue. And his whole purpose was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to see something this morning as we begin to see what happens in Iconium and then in Lystra. There's division. There's always going to be the group that's going to accept the gospel and there's always going to be to the other group that rejects the gospel. When you look at the words of Christ, he says, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring division. And some of you have experienced that division, even within your own families. You've experienced that division at your workplace, you do, that division in the school place. Especially if you come to Christ when they know you in the world. And now you come to Christ, to saving grace, 
there's this division. And you're going to butt heads with it. And you're going to have to make decisions. You have to stand up for Christ or you go back into the world. And that's a choice that's left in each and every one of us. And so let's begin here. In Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 18 now, Paul and Barnabas, they begin in Iconium. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and they spoke that great multitudes, both of Jew and Gentile, and the Greeks believed. Outstanding that there's always going to be believers. As we mentioned earlier, Paul and Barnabas Always make a beeline to the, to the synagogue of the city. Now, there's two main reasons for it. Number one, uh, the key place where people of God, Jew or Gentile, uh, would gather to worship and to praise. And secondly, Paul went there because the salvation was to the Jew first. And so he wanted to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul would play his time out. Paul would rate, wait when they would say, is there a reading to be brought forth? And then he would get up and he would begin to share. Now understand, Paul is sharing from the Old Testament. You should never be afraid that you can't draw Christ from the Old Testament. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. The prophecies that speak forth. And so Paul would bring it forth and, and basically take it from the, the book of Genesis uh, up to the book of Malachi. And then now he's up to the book of Acts. And so we have the Gospels and now the presentation of the church. And again, it caused divisions. It caused divisions. Look at verse 2 now. But the unbelieving Jews, they stirred up the Gentiles and they poisoned their mind against the brethren. Anytime that you share the Gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the good news... That Jesus is the Messiah. That he is God in the flesh. According to John chapter 1, the gospel, he is the incarnate God. And so when these things were brought forth by Paul, be sure that you're going to face opposition. Yet Paul sensed an open door. The Holy Spirit had him to continue. Paul and Barnabas did what they always did. They preached with boldness. As we mentioned last week in Antioch, they spoke with boldness. When you speak of Christ to somebody, it has to be of boldness. It can't be of you. Because we're timid. We're fearful. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to hurt somebody else. But if the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, you won't be able to hold it back. Notice what takes place now in verse 3. Therefore, they staged there. They stayed there for a long time. We don't know how long uh, they spent in Iconium. But a long time, it says here. And, and here's those words again. Speaking boldly of the Lord, who is bearing witness uh, to the word of His grace, granting signs, wonders to be done by their hands. It's interesting that God brings forth the miracle signs and wonders. Many times the miracle signs and wonders are signs to get you to come to the cross. Uh, they are actions uh, to get you to come to the cross. Uh, they're going to see this lame man. And because of his healing, it stirs up the mind. It stirs up the heart. Maybe there is a God. 
Maybe I need to listen to this man. Maybe God is speaking to me. And so there's convictions every which way. In verse 3 here, in evangelism, when the Holy Spirit is moving in conviction, then there is salvation. Uh, they stay and they keep ministering until the Spirit of the Lord says enough. They stayed for a long time. I like that phrase. We don't know how long. But for a long time, notice, in the same manner as they did uh, a week before in Antioch, uh, despite opposition, bearing witness of the word of His grace. The word grace is unmerited favor. We deserve judgment, but God gives us His grace. And then touching them with the power of the Holy Spirit that we spoke of in verse 46 last week. They grew bold. The King James says that they waxed bold. They spoke frankly. That's what the Greek is saying. In their utterances concerning Jesus Christ, they spoke with confidence the assurance of Christ Jesus. Paul and Barnabas did not move on. Until the Spirit of the Lord would, would tell them it's time. And you're going to see persecution is going to start coming. And so it was time to move. I was thinking about Billy Graham and I was looking up some of his statistics. Billy Graham's first ministry, major ministry, it was the crusade in 1949 in Los Angeles, California. You know, I never got the opportunity to ask my grandfather my grandfather was born and raised for a short time uh, here in El Paso. My grandfather was born from a prostitute in Juarez. And then uh, he was taken by family members or friends. We don't even know. My grandfather wouldn't talk about it. But eventually he ends up in California. And he raises his family there. I always wondered, did my grandpa, did he go to the Crusades? of 1949. I hope and pray. I honestly can tell you, my grandfather was a church-going man. He was a very good Catholic. He went with my grandmother, but I never heard him proclaim the gospel. I venture to say that he went, or I venture to say that he met people that went there. But I want to emphasize, when Billy Graham and his team was putting this together back in 1949, their whole concept and the plan, because you have to have a plan. They were going to stay there for three weeks. Imagine a crusade in Los Angeles, which is much needed today again. But they ended up staying eight weeks because the Holy Spirit was being poured out. Over 350,000 at that time, 1949, came in attendance. Over 3,000 souls we're committed to Christ. This is 1949, church. And so here's what Paul and Barnabas are doing now. Reaching out there in Iconium. Uh, the ministry in Antioch is done. The ministry in Jerusalem is done. And their part. Now Paul's going to go back and forth. But the gospel was already presented. Let's take it to Iconium. This is exactly what's going on. But look at verse 4 now. But the multitude of the city was divided. The multitude of the city was divided. Part sided with the Jews and part sided with the apostles. Many Jews treated the apostles as false teachers. Jesus encountered that with the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. But salvations and miracles did not convince them. 
we've often shared if you were here for the Gospel of John. Lazarus is in the grave uh, for four days. Jesus calls him out. He comes forward. Then shouldn't that have been enough for everybody? Isn't that a great miracle? We put him in the grave. In fact, his sister says, Lord, by now he stinks. And you're going to call him out? And there he is. He's wrapped in grave clothes. And they have to unwrap him. I always tease about this. Uh, there's no mention of Lazarus ever smiling again. Why did you bring me back? Imagine that. But understand what's going on here. Uh, the miracle signs and wonders did not always move everybody. Yet others believed in Jesus Christ. They did not harden their hearts against the truth of the gospel, the good news. They felt and they experienced the power of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice that they came to the Lord without prejudice. They discerned that the miracle signs and wonders were the work of God. So some remained with Paul and Barnabas. Others began to cause friction. There's a division already. Notice verse 5. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and to stone them. Speaking about Paul and Barnabas. Obviously now the Holy Spirit is finished. It's time to move on. They were there for a time we don't know how long. Paul and Barnabas were forced uh, to leave Iconium and they head out to Lystra. Now on your maps you see Lystra is not that far. And so they just go to the next city. They just go down the road. This shows us that it was not time for Paul and for Barnabas to be martyred. They did what they could to preserve their lives. I want you to mark down the verse. We shared it last week. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus is sending out the 12. He sends them out two by two. And in verse 11, whosoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Shake off the dust and keep going. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable. Now listen to this statement. More tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for this city. Interesting. God says, shake off the dust. They don't want to hear the gospel. It's time to leave. Take it somewhere else. And that's the same with us. Maybe you've been sharing with a loved one, a family, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, a schoolmate, somebody, uh, your hairdresser. You know, think about the opportunity. And you've been sharing for a long time. And nothing has happened. Maybe it's time to shake off the dust and go somewhere else. Somebody else wants to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Division. They want Paul and Barnabas out. It's time for them to move on. It wasn't time for them to be martyred. Notice now in verse 6, they became aware of it and they fled. They heard that they were coming against them. They fled to Lystra and then to Derbe, the cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding regions. 
They were informed. Who told them? Was it the power of the Holy Spirit? Did they receive a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom? Did they receive discernment? They could see the trouble? Uh, did somebody from within, Paul, Barnabas, it's time to leave. And then they sense from the Spirit of God, yes, it's time to leave. Either way, Paul and Barnabas took off. Now, very important here when you're sharing Christ with others. In John chapter 16, verse 13, the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is going to teach you. That's the word to guide. The Holy Spirit is going to show you the way. And so we need to be sensitive as the Holy Spirit ministers. And so Paul and Barnabas were exactly that. Look at verse 7. And they were preaching the gospel there. What did they do in Antioch? What did they do in Iconium? And now in Lystra, then Derbe, they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news. And what did they preach? That Jesus is the Messiah. The Son of God, the Savior of the world. Uh, again, the incarnate God. Where did Paul receive this? By the Holy Spirit. What about the teachings of Jesus that were already uh, being introduced in John 14, 6? Jesus said, with boldness, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to my Father but through me. Evangelism began. We draw our English word from the Greek word, egoledezo, if I'm saying it correct, uh, to evangelize, to announce the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul goes to Iconium. They kick him out in a sense. And now he's in Lystra. Doesn't say that he went to the synagogue, but let's continue here. Notice in verse 8 now. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting. Understand that. A cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This was something that he was born with, obviously. Now, what a time, what a place to do a work of God. One commentary said this. The word sitting in the Greek indicates his uh, usual posture, his helpless condition. Such persons commonly sat by the wayside or in public places to ask for alms. Family or friends would place them there, drop them off. I wonder if he couldn't, he had to be propped up against the wall. Maybe some cushions around him. And being that uh, he was crippled, there was no welfare system. And so people would give him alms. But people knew him. And so God picks out this man uh, to do a miracle, a, a sign. Notice that his feet were impotent. The Greek says, without any power, entirely deprived of the use of his feet. Being a cripple, obviously, he was lame. It tells us uh, who had never walked. He was lame from birth. And so the miracle would be more remarkable as the man would be well known. We know that there were persecutions in city to city. They opposed Paul and Barnabas in every way. So it was needful. It was a time for a sign, a miracle, a sign and a wonder to carry them forth, to establish the work of the gospel. In other words, to lead the way. Please take note of this, though. 
Paul and Barnabas were not faith healers. Paul and Barnabas did not have a healing ministry. Paul and Barnabas did not call themselves healers. They were evangelists. They brought the word of God first. Very important there. Now I want you to write this down. We all know the Great Commission. I want to take it out of Mark chapter 16. And basically it goes from verse 14 uh, to verse 18. But I want to read 16 and 17. Jesus said these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will uh, take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Uh, these are the signs and wonders. We've seen God touch people's lives. Some of you have seen God touch people's lives, not only uh, physically, but more importantly, spiritually. Many have come because of healings, because of cancer. They come to Christ. Sometimes God works these in and through my life. Years ago when uh, we were not even considering salvation, we were not considering ever leaving the Catholic Church. And when Mary had uh, Lisa, our third child, some of you know the testimony. Uh, I mean, I was drinking, I was gambling, I was selling drugs, but here's my wife pregnant now. She delivers the baby, and now some of you know and you understand, jaundice is not a big thing. But in those days, it was a big thing, and it was a big thing to me. To see your baby basically very yellow, and to see your baby naked under these lamps with her eyes, you know, shut with cotton, it just freaks you out. And then three days in those days, okay, Miss Ortega, it's time for you to take your wife home. And the doctor says, but you can't take the baby. That messed with my mind. That messed with my heart. I didn't know what to do. I knew the hospital that we were at at the bottom. There was a chapel. That's where I went. And I got on my knees and I said, Lord, I don't know what yellow jaundice is. But the baby has to stay for three more, four more days. They said, we don't know. And then I got to take home a crying mom. I got to take home myself, a hurting husband. I cried out to God. And I said, Lord, what is it that you want from me? I never forgot the prayer. It didn't happen overnight, but that was the beginning. God used that in my life. Maybe God has used uh, something in your life. Because look at verse 9 now. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul observing him intently. This is the blind man, or the lame man, excuse me. Listen to what Paul saw. This is incredible. And seeing that he had faith to be healed. He's a non-believer. He's up against the wall. He's in a sitting position. He's been lame from birth. Paul speaks with boldness. What if Paul's wrong? I mean, they're going to kill him. But Paul looks at this man. How does Paul know? There has to be discernment of spirit within Paul. There has to be a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom from God. Paul, I want to touch that man. But Paul obeyed. And he's going to speak forth to this guy. Now, 
How do you see faith? Not an easy question to ask. How do you see faith? Uh, Paul saw it. I believe some of you have seen faith in people. I believe I have. Let me say this, that Paul had the gift of discernment at the very moment. I believe the Holy Spirit showed Paul as the Word of God came forth. You see, the Word of God is what stirs us up. In Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Paul was preaching the Word. The lame man heard it. Faith was given to this man. God is not obligated to heal you because of your faith. But some people do not receive from God, listen to this, because they do not have faith. You have to have faith. The Bible speaks of childlike faith. The Bible speaks of mustard seed faith. The Bible speaks of faith that moves mountains. And I know what you guys think because I think the same way. Well, they have faith, but I don't have that kind of faith. You know, Billy Graham has faith. Pastor Chuck had faith. And we think that we can't have that faith. Yes, you can. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And as we read, as we study, God develops that faith. God opens that faith in you. But here's a man never heard it. But yet Paul saw faith in him. I want you to write this down as a reference in Luke chapter 8. Verses 43 to 48, uh, there's a woman with an issue of blood. Remember her? The Bible says 12 years with this issue of blood. She had exhausted all her finances. She had been to every physician possible. She was at her wit's end. Obviously hearing the stories about Jesus. And here comes Jesus towards her in her community, in her city. There's an entourage of people around Jesus. They're pushing, they're shoving. They're a group. And this lady, in her mind, in her heart, moved by faith. If I could only touch Jesus. I love that passage because the Bible says that she reached in. And she got a hold of his garment. Now, it sounds kind of, uh, you know, crazy for us. Wait a minute. She didn't even talk to Jesus. She couldn't. There were too many people. But he, she grabbed his garment. The Bible says that Jesus stopped. He says, who touched me? The disciples were uh, just stupefied. How, what do you mean, who touched you? Everybody's touching you. No, somebody touched me. Listen, by faith. Somebody touched me by faith. Jesus turned, and he says, your faith has made you well. She was healed from this issue of blood. Ladies, she had an ongoing menstrual period for 12 years. Radical. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. This woman heard enough. This lame man barely heard from Paul. Now, watch what takes place in verse 10. And Paul said with a loud voice, I like this as command. Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and he walked. I have to be honest with you. I don't know if I have the courage. I don't know if I have the faith. And I would say to the brother, stand up and walk. 
Lord, what happens if he doesn't do it? Lord, what happens if he falls over? What happens? They're going to come after me. I mean, all these things have to go through your mind. But Paul was in tune with the Holy Spirit. And this man, Paul saw faith in him. And this man's going to stand up. One commentary said, Paul commanded him with a loud shout, saying, stand erect on your feet. He leaped up and he walked. Another commentary said, Paul said with a loud enough voice for everyone to hear, up on your feet. Uh, the man was up in quickly. He jumped up. He walked around as it had been walking all his life. The Holy Spirit obviously moved. Now, you try to take that away from that man, you're not going to take it away. He's been healed. He's not saved yet. But he's been healed. Wait a minute. You mean God will proclaim miracle signs and wonders to the non-believer? Yes. The ministry to the non-believer has to be many times miracle signs and wonders. I think that's what's going to shake our nation if some kind of major tragedy comes. In the Old Testament, when the locusts came and wiped out the children of Israel's crops, they would turn to God. In the Old Testament, when the Syrians came in and took them captives, they would turn to God. In the Old Testament, uh, when the Philistines attacked, when the Amalekites attacked, when uh, they were taken into captivity in Egypt, I mean, go back and study the Old Testament. But it took for them to be broken. And sometimes God has to break us. Notice in verse 11. Now when the people saw what Paul had done. They're mesmerized. Uh, they raised their voices saying. In the Lyconium language. Uh, the gods small g. Have come down to us. In the likeness of men. Now Paul and Barnabas can't understand their language. And at first they thought they're just treating us uh, with thanksgiving. The Greeks from Lystra saw a miracle and a sign and a wonder happen before their very eyes. But the idea of who God is uh, had not changed concerning their culture. So listen, it, it seemed logical to them uh, to consider Paul and Barnabas as gods. That was the easiest thing to do. Small g. A sad commentary when you think about it. When idolatry is such a part uh, of the belief system in your mind and in your heart and in your culture, notice that the miracle sign and wonder uh, attracted attention. It was an unwanted attention. The miracle itself saved no one. And yet healing were for believers. They were coming. But healing here is for a non-believer. And God would work a miracle either way. Many times God uses miracle signs and wonders in your life, in my life. We have people in the church that it was cancer that brought them to Christ. We have people in the church that it was a divorce that brought them to Christ. There's people in the church that lost everything. And that's what brought them to Christ. We have two choices. Lord, you're speaking to me. Or Lord, I curse you. And some take uh, the second portion. Lord, this is your fault. As we saw, the headlines in, in a New York City newspaper. Where's God? 
Oh, God's there. Where are you? Where are you? I truly believe, church, that God's going to have to shake the very foundations of our United States of America or we're not going to turn to God. We're not going to turn to God. It's tragedy sometimes that bring us there. Uh, now, those in Lystra, they take it further. It's Zeus and Hermes. Look at verse 12. And Barnabas, they called Zeus. And, and, and Paul, they call Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Paul and Barnabas both did not understand the Lyconium language because we know Paul would have rebuked them immediately, and he eventually is. But imagine that they think they're Greek gods that have come in the flesh now. This is their culture. I mean, only a god could have lifted this man up. We've known him from our birth. Notice verse 13. Then the priest of Zeus whose temple was in front of their city. He brought oxen and garland uh, to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Let's give thanks to our gods, basically. And so this priest had to have been before an image of Jupiter, if you do uh, the background check, uh, which was erected a statue before their city. That is, the priest uh, uh, brings an oxen and garland to the gate. Oxen for sacrifice and garland uh, decorate the altar and such of the temple and those that would be engaged in the service there. And then they would do the sacrifice. Paul and, and Barnabas still don't know this, but this is what's going to happen. Interesting, I want you to study on your own Exodus chapter 20 and verses uh, 2 through 5. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, you shall have no other gods before me. A small g. He says, you shall not make to, for yourself a, a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I mean, this would have frustrated uh, Paul and Barnabas. Now, you could respond as I've responded many times. Uh, Lord, I don't have idols anymore. Lord, I left Catholicism 30 plus years ago. Lord, you'll notice up here, I, I, we don't have idols, Lord. But we've shared this many times. An idol, listen to me, an idol is anything that takes the place of God. An idol is anything that takes the place of God. We serve a jealous God. He wants us to serve him. How many are not in church this morning because there's some precious football games on? How many might not go to a Sunday night service tonight because there's football games on? And I'm not taking it away. I like to watch a good football game. I like to watch the Aggies, but then they always lose. I'm not, you notice I'm not talking about my Lakers anymore. They can't even buy a game. Be careful. And so here's Paul. Here's Barnabas now. And yet the people in Lystra 
They think they're Greek gods. When Paul and Barnabas finally find out, they figure it out, somebody must have translated. Look at verse 14. But when the, apostle, uh, the apostles, Barnabas and Saul, heard this, they tore their clothes. This is a Jewish custom, the Jewish culture. And they ran among the multitudes, and they cried out, Stop this. They, they cried out. Look at verse 15. And saying, men, why are you doing these things? Uh, we uh, also are men with the same nature as you. And we preach to you uh, that you should turn from these useless uh, things to the living God. Who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. The tearing of the clothes was very important. Back up in verse 14. One commentary said this. They did this for two reasons. Pick up on it. First of all, to show that they were completely a human. Not God, small g. Uh, just uh, like the Laconians. And the second reason, uh, their Jewish reaction to a terrible blasphemy. How dare you think we're God? For Paul and Barnabas, this was not just blasphemous. That they were called gods, but that this was sin. This was sin. And so Paul, men, what are you doing? What are you doing? We're just like you. We're not gods. In verse 15, why are you doing this? We're also human beings of nature like your own. We bring you the good news, the gospel. That you should turn away from these foolish and vain things and turn to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything uh, that they contain. Uh, when you go home tonight, this afternoon, study Exodus uh, chapter 20 and study Psalm 146. It, it's easy uh, to glorify man. It's easy to put man on a pedestal. I've always thought very highly of Pastor Chuck Smith. And a lot of uh, the pastors through the years have. We've appreciated that man very much. And when he passed away, it was a hurt, it was a pain, it was a mixed emotion. He went home to be with Jesus, no more suffering. But he was very careful to bring any glory to himself. One time I was up at a retreat up in Twin Peaks and uh, we were small then as far as the pastors of Calvary Chapel. And so we were staying in dorms, and I'm not a good sleeper anymore. I used to sleep all the time. Uh, you couldn't get me up on Monday mornings to go to school, that's for sure. But sleep has escaped me. If I get three to four hours, I've, I've gotten a good, a, a good sleep. And so back in that day, I was so excited about the Lord that I... Uh, you know, in the ministry, uh, a young pastor, probably a couple of years in the Lord, a couple of years in ministry. And so here we up at Twin Peaks. And I was thinking, Pastor Chuck, probably one of the greatest men I've ever met. And lo and behold, it was about 4 o'clock in the morning. Everything gets started about 7 with breakfast and then fellowship and such. And, and so I, I did my prayer time my devotional time, and I thought, I'm going to go down to the cafeteria. Uh, maybe they're making coffee. And I saw some lights. I heard some commotion, and there were people in the back doing the cooking and such and such. But I went into the area where you sat, and in those days, there's about 600 people, and nobody's there, but I could hear a vacuum. I go, one of the, 
one of the hired hands, right? So I got closer, I got closer. Thank God he had his back to me. It was Pastor Chuck. It was Pastor Chuck. It, it floored me. It, it got a hold of me. But nobody was around to see it. He was doing it as unto the Lord. That means he got up earlier to pray already because now he was doing his chores. And he loved to do things. But what's going on here? Paul and Barnabas, they have to turn this thing around somehow. Notice verse 16. And he begins to give testimony of God. And bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their ways. All generations passed, Paul is saying. Rendered here. All Gentile people separated themselves from the Jewish people. The Jews having a revelation, they had the Old Testament, they had the Torah, they had uh, the five books of the law at least, were not left to walk in their own ways. But the pagans, and that's who he's speaking about, who had not a revelation, were suffered to, to form their creed, their, their mode of worship, according to their own desires, how to serve God. They got into Greek mythology. It was very important to them. And Paul has to direct them. Paul has to show them. It's not an easy task. When my friend started sharing the gospel with me, I kept coming back to him with my Catholic upbringing, my Catholic traditions, my Catholic ways. And then I never forgot one day we're, we're going to read a passage of Scripture. And, and Steve says, oh, I'll open up your Bible. We were at lunchtime. And so I opened up the passage that says, Bob, read that. I make the sign of the cross. He didn't say nothing to me. And some of you know exactly we can make the sign of the cross very fast. Very fast. But we're ingrained to do these things. Look at verse 17 now. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, speaking about God, and that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful season of filling our hearts with food and gladness. Who gives us what we have? Doesn't everything come from God? You get up in the morning and the sun rises. We come to the evening and the sun sets. We have the day, we have the night, we have the stars, we have the moon, the sun, the planets and such. Uh, who, who put them there? We have the seasons, we have the rains, we have the crops, we harvest. I mean, this is the, the, the land of planting. The chili grows here so beautifully. Vegetables. So many other things, alfalfa, corn, cotton. The list goes on, pecan trees. And we wait for the rains. And if we, the rains don't come, we have the real grand, the waters that come up from the north. We're so blessed. And so Paul brings this forth now. God has blessed us. And many times the uh, the. Greek cultures and such, and the heathen nations were blessed, listen, because of the Jews. God would send the rain, God would send the, the sun, God would send the crops. 
Now, it's interesting. I love these two passages. I want you to study them when you get home. Deuteronomy chapter 27 and Deuteronomy chapter 28. It speaks about the curses and the blessings. If we do this, God is going to bless us in Deuteronomy 28. But if we don't do this, the curses will come. And so the nation of Israel knew that. The nation of Israel knew that. And God blessed them. And even still today, they are a blessed people. But we come to the conclusion, look at verse 18. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. They still wanted to sacrifice. Even though Paul made it clear. Imagine Paul and Barnabas being raised on the law, knowing well the Torah, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. They wanted to worship them. And next week, they're going to want to stone them. All they're speaking, all they're sharing, all their hand gestures, the breaking of their clothing. Finally, they wanted to kill them. They wanted to sacrifice. First, they want to sacrifice for them. They bring out the, the oxen. They bring out the garland. Paul's trying to explain, but they're not listening to reason. And it takes time. I didn't get rid of all the paraphernalia in my house until a time. As I begin to read, as I begin to study, the Holy Spirit begins to show you. I shared with you years ago when my mom... Uh, you know, we had already cleaned up our house, gotten rid of all the various idols and such that uh, we were accustomed to in our uh, Catholicism. And, and so, you know, my mom was still, she had her precious saints and, and she had her ornaments and she had, uh, anytime we would give her something, it, it meant much to her. So my brother had uh, given her, uh, I think they call it the piata, and it's for Jesus is supposedly lying across Mary's, uh, uh, you know, uh, her lap and such. And my brother, I don't know what he paid for it, but he said it was expensive. And so my mom, she couldn't see destroying these things. And she was hearing the gospel. One day, lo and behold, my dad wasn't a believer yet. He calls me up. He says, you better get over here. Your mom's gone nuts. She's destroying everything. I didn't know what he was talking about. My dad had a workbench in the front yard. And there's my mom with a 50-gallon trash bucket here. And then she had my dad's hammer. She had all her, her ornaments from Catholicism. And I stood there and I watched her. Inside, I'm rejoicing. Then I've got to be careful with my dad. What's this doing to him? My mom systematically got each one of the statues, ornaments and such. And she put it down, and this is what she said, I never forgot it, you lied to me, whack, in the trash. She did that to each one. And here comes the piata at the end. That was her pride and joy. She smashed it a couple times. And again, she said, you lied to me. And she whisked it into the trash. You cannot do that until the power of the Holy Spirit tells you. 
You cannot do that until the Spirit of God uh, overcomes you. And non-believers just can't understand it. And I was ridiculed at work all the time. Oh, so you don't make the sign of the cross anymore? I said, no, I don't. So you don't genuflect at the church anymore? Uh, no, I don't. You don't have any statues? They know. There was this one gentleman named Ramiro that always was trying to get me. And he says, you don't, the holy water? You don't do that? No. And trust me, in my drinking days, I would go past the church. I have a bottle of beer between my legs. I'm driving. I passed St. Joseph, and I didn't make the sign of the cross. I would go around the block and come back because the, the culture in me, I had to make the sign of the cross. Wow, I felt good. I'm drunk. I'm going to get a DWI. But you got to go back and make the sign of the cross. Imagine the cop pulls you over, gets you for an open container. Why'd you stop at the church? I had to make the sign of the cross. Let's go, buddy. The mission work in the midst of idolatry. God works, obviously, in the midst of sin. He worked in my life. He worked in your life in the midst of sin. If you haven't come to Christ, he is still working in the midst of your sin. Let's all stand and we'll end uh, with the word of God. We'll end with prayer, that is. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy, Lord. Thank you for the word of God that will not come back void. The word of God that ministers to each and every one of us. Or the word of God that, that takes down those prideful things that we do and we lean on and we hang on to, Lord. Thank you for the message of the cross over and over as Paul and Barnabas received boldness. And they spoke of, of the grace of God. The unmerited favor, how we deserve judgment. But he gives us grace. And then God, in the midst of it, you did a miracle, a sign, and a wonder. And yet they uh, repaid Paul and Barnabas by calling them Greek gods. Lord, have mercy on us, Lord. If there's things in our lives that we still haven't gotten rid of, uh, today is the day that we need to make Make a, a, a plan, make a league, make a, a promise to God. Lord, I'm getting rid of that, whatever it is. No more, Lord, I'm tired of it. And so, Father, speak to the hearts of those here this morning. Maybe there's somebody that hasn't come to Christ. Uh, today is the day of your salvation. You need to speak to God. Lord, bless the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back a portion and Lord, thank you and praise you and worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. And we all agree by saying, amen.